for April 18th, 2022. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 720. Dumbledore's Tenet. It's overthinking it where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than uh, when they're talking over the things that they enjoyed. We enjoy them more. Uh, we enjoy them more, uh, ironically, when we're not enjoying them, or I guess unexpectedly. <laughs> When we're talking about enjoying them, it's really the it's really the analysis of the enjoyment that is the most enjoyable part, uh, and uh, that's what we like to share with you. I'm Matt, and that cackle belongs to Pete Fensel. Hey, Pete, how are hey, you? Matt, we're such good friends now. Let's make a magical pact okay. to never become bitter enemies. How Got does it. that sound? Okay, yeah, okay. we'll never start rival podcasts. Oh, good. That's what good. you know. Excellent. And if you and if you start a if you start a podcast, your microphone cord will start strangling you <laughs> around your neck. And if I start a podcast, the same, my microphone cord, where my headphone cable will start suffocating yeah. me, choking the life out of me. And that's uh, that's how we know uh, that we're that we're uh, really good friends, sort of sort of bosom friends, you know, blood brothers, sort of. <laughs> yes. um, Pete, let's uh, seal our pact. In a magical amulet that we both have, or one of us has, or something—I'm yes. not sure. Don't pay attention to it. There's, there's, there's one amulet. It's one amulet. It supposedly threatens both of them. Look, look, man. If we break down everything that doesn't exactly make sense, this podcast is going to be four hours long. <laughs> <laughs> Six well, hours long. No, but the, the the main benefit of the this pack that we've made is that it makes us, as protagonists of this podcast, entirely dramatically inert. Right, right, that, right. Except we're not really the protagonists, right? Like we're the protagonists, but we're also the mentor. We're like the Luke and the Obi-Wan, but there's also a Luke. But then there's also somebody who wins at the end who isn't Luke or Obi-Wan. Yep. So it's, it's just there's so many layers. We should probably tell people what we're talking they're about. Also, it's not, they're also not Kyrie th- Irving. They're also the, uh, three topics. Princess Leias. Yes, they're, yes, yes. You know, three, they are. And they're all, you know. they're all twins, I think. No, they're all sisters. And one of them got cut from the film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right what are we talking about pete we're talking about fantastic beasts and where to where to bone them no fantastic beasts the uh the uh secrets of dumbledore is what we're talking about man it's great it's you know what's one of the great things about going to the movies matt what's that it's right now one of the great things about going to the movies when you go with another person is you don't always pick the movie that you get to see mm. and i feel like this podcast if we're guilty of anything over the years it's perhaps the the venal crime of putting the finger on the scales of the movie watching decision in our various lives many, many, many times among our close friends, yes. significant others, et cetera. Right? I, de- I definitely, I definitely have the experience of when I suggest something to Christina, she looks at me with trepidation and says, do you have to watch this for the podcast? <laughs> I don't even remember if my wife watched Money Played with me or not. But the fact that we're still married suggests that she didn't. <laughs> but but yes. dude, I don't think any of the rest of us watched Money Played. I think either. it was just this right. We didn't even. Po- I, I imagine I have like a feud state memory. I have like a lost memory from the multiverse of a podcast episode we did about Money Plane that never happened. I'm sure. Um, stay tuned for the Doctor Strange cast, which is just going to be a money plane podcast from that other world that shatters through <laughs> and threatens our reality. Um, but yes, that, that would be funny. Yes, so you, well, you, you really drove this. You drove this decision because I think you had plans. You had long-standing yes. plans to see yes. Fantastic Beasts 
the secrets of Dumbledore. Indeed, because so two two movies ago uh-huh. with my wife was Bad Boys for Life. Okay, which was the last movie I saw before the theaters closed in 2020. Ah, and okay. and so I've seen a bunch of movies since then. I saw Spider-Man No Way Home. I saw Venom uh, 2, uh, Don Carnage. I saw uh, I saw West Side Story. But, you know, my wife didn't come with me to see any of those because we have a little itty-bitty toddler kid. And, you know, somebody needs to stay with them. And because of the deadly contagion, uh, we haven't really been making use of babysitters. We did see one other movie together, which was, of course, uh, the dear, dear Fast and the Furious movie that we saw. Yes. It was wonderful. Um, but this is this is her coming to the movie theater, you know. This was an opportunity we had at the beginning of uh, her April vacation to go see a movie together. And she she like a lot of people, uh, you know, she's was really into Harry Potter, you know, back in the day, especially like when it was all coming out. You know, sure. she has the book. She's read a bunch of times. She's seen the movies. I wouldn't describe her as a Potterhead per se, but like she loves that stuff. She really enjoys those movies. And in particular, uh, I think that there are people who look for for uh, new when you're feeling like you really need to watch a movie, do you go for something that you've seen before or do you go for something that you haven't seen before? I mean, I don't know. I feel, I don't feel, I I definitely go for something that I've seen before. I mean, my, a lot of my movie watching these days, this is a digression. So pull me back at the point where it starts to, it starts to really pull us off track. But a lot of movie watching these days, Pete, is like I put a small little movie playing window in the corner of my big monitor that Mm -hmm. I'm doing work on in order to just, just have some company, <laughs> you know, a lot of the time. Yeah, Though it's yeah. the, the, the kinds of movies I favor are the like, are the, uh, of the crank ilk. You know, Ooh, that like crank ilk. one, the, the crank ilk, <laughs> the, the jolt ilk. There's a new one. There's a new, uh, uh, Amazon studios movie called jolt, um, which is kind of an anti crank. Uh, she needs the electric shocks to, to not, uh, uh oh. go crazy, you know, mm-hmm. to, to like keep her, to, to regulate her, uh, uh, her deadly assassinness. And, um, so yeah, the, uh, the, I, I, I like that because they're, they, you know, they have energy. They generally have, uh, good EDM soundtracks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Like, uh, good and, and, you know, to kind of keep, keep the energy up and you can sort of look at one every, you know, 45 seconds or so and uh, see something that's visually interesting. Right. Like that's what, and actually, you know, well, no, this, so by this standard, um, you know, a a fantastic beasts and where, where to ignore their protagonist is, uh, is a terrible movie uh, for, Mm -hmm. for this because it is, there are some action scenes there and there is some like visual interest. There's some cinematic interest. Um, But uh, the, the, um, the majority of it really like the lion's share of the kind of the bulk of the movie, the, like the, the cellulose bulk of this, this movie's vegetal body is, uh, is, just talky scenes is just really sad, you know, kind of like gray, desaturated talky scenes. Right. And um, we'll, we'll go yeah. into that. I think we'll Pe- go into that. People, definitely. people looking, people looking at each other. But I think to answer your question, like, so I like, I like things that are familiar because these days I've been watching movies largely because it's a good, it's a good, you know, an action movie is like, let's call it six Pomodoros. 
mm-hmm. you know, and that's uh that's a good uh, that's a good chunk of work to do without uh without a stand up type of break, and then you take mm-hmm. a then you take a stand up break and you you know I don't know uh go to the water cooler which is the kitchen sink and and get something to get something to to drink. So I like the I do like the familiar, but I have been looking for them um not to comfort me per se, but rather not to distract me too much. Yeah. I would say that when my wife watches comfort movies, it's often either because she's sick or because she's really tired and she wants to fall to sleep, uh, fall asleep watching it. Uh, or, you know, kid is just in bed and maybe I'm doing a podcast or I'm not around and she just wants something that just is totally relaxing. And she'll often watch, you know, Coco guards the galaxy, Right. Uh, or any number of the Harry Potter films. Right. There's a certain library that's, I'm sure, bigger than I think it is, but involves a lot of Harry Potter that she's pretty much been keeping up with. And we've seen each of the Fantastic Beast movies in the theater. And of course, you know, they have a certain quality to them, which we will, of course, get into and have already described. And we all know, just to remark on it a little bit, that, uh, that J.K. Rowling has not exactly endeared herself to her large global fan base all that consistently over the course of the last couple of years, um, and uh, or I don't even know when it started. Has it's it been, been like almost, twenty years. It's all. It's a masterclass in in pretty much burning the limitless goodwill that people had <laughs> for you. It's like I I don't even know I don't even know where to begin. And and fortunately it doesn't relate to the to the text of the movie. So no, I'm I'm yeah, glad yeah. that we can I'm glad yeah. that that's the case. Yeah, cuz cuz in this case, you know, why are we watching this movie? Well, I'm watching it because my wife loves Harry Potter movies and has been watching this entire series and has watched it a bunch of times. And I watched it with her and she wanted to ch- to pick the movie, you know, and, and she and she told me about it months in advance. Like, this is the movie that I want to see. I don't get to see movies very often. This is the movie I want to see. Great. Awesome. We're going to go see this movie. We had a great time. It was awesome. Movie theater wasn't that crowded. We had a wonderful, you know, lunch al fresco afterwards and talked about all the silly things that were in the movie and all that stuff. But but I mean, it is nice. One of the nice things about going to a movie theater with another person and not having a thoroughly individualized or at home movie experience is that you do have to make risky choices that put you in the seat of a movie that maybe you might not have picked. And then you got to watch it all the way through because, yeah, there's you're probably going to go to the bathroom two or three times for this one. But even then, it's not going to get you all the way through it. And it's not like this is a god awful movie like this was this was fun. You know, this was uh, this was a, a watchable entertainment. Um, but it is more sure, Phantom the, Menace than yeah. Force Awakens. Right. Uh, and, you know, I yeah. mean, a little bit more. Not Phantom Menace. It's like Attack of the Clones a little bit. I don't know. OK. Okay, let let me back off before I just get lazy and bash it because there's a lot to talk about with this movie. Yeah, there and, there is, yeah. and and I hope that if you don't see this movie, you'll still listen to this podcast because I think a lot of what we're going to talk about is interesting from a hypothetical standpoint as well. <laughs> like, what is this movie that they're talking about that has all these characteristics? It sounds bizarre. It is. It's a very strange movie, right? So, okay, to pick up on a syllogism or to pick up on an analogy, there's a sort of a uh, sort of um, there's a logic there's a logic construction that's happening here. Mm. We talked a bunch right in a past podcast about how, and this is how I'm going to explain what this movie is about. How Tenet mm. right is basically Beverly Hills Cop, right through a lens of Christopher Nolan, sure. right. So so like Beverly Hills Cop, offbeat, you know, fish out of water comedy about a sassy, smart, uh, fast talking police officer 
who ends up in a world of kind of high intrigue and high privilege uh, where he is, uh, you know, con- his his identity is mysterious and he's moving into in and out of different spaces. Uh, he ends up involved in sort of an arts custom house heist. Right. And, and, there, and there's also a racial component that mirrors the the sort of uh, other dimensions of the job that he's doing. Uh, and, and and so and also there's sort of, um, you know, a sort of uh, recreational kind of amusement park aspect to a lot of it to the franchise. So we sort of talked about Tenet as a sort of uh, a sort of joyless Beverly Hills cop. Right. Mm. So but it's but it's not like just joyless. It has a lot of other stuff, but it's a sort of similar. Right. And uh, and and I'm going to posit here that Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore is the J.K. Rowling tenet. Mm. And in fact, I kind of feel like or think that this movie probably originally was going to come out pretty close to tenet. Mm. And the similarities between the two of them were going to be much more apparent. Whereas I think now I suspect most people, well, first of all, I don't think a lot of people who would have planned to have seen this movie before the crimes of Johnny Depp came out, right? Uh, sorry, crimes Grindelwald came out, um, the crime, whatever, the complex crimes for and against the various people involved in Johnny Depp's life come out, came out. Um, if you are, you may not be at all interested in this movie at all, right? And so you would never have realized that it's like Tenet. Uh, and, and I want to I want to sort of outline how it's like Tenet because I think this is going to also explain to you what this movie could be. And I and I have to say, I'm going to slow this down because I'm just really excited to talk about this movie because it's so strange. And there's so much going on with it that's close to good and, and sort of inspired. <laughs> But like left on the floor, you know, it's like finding a really cool banana and being like, this banana looks like it would be especially delicious. And then just dropping it instead of instead of putting it in the tailpipe (laughs) of the cop car (laughs) that is surveilling you. Exactly. Exactly. So any summary of what this movie is about is going to require you to ignore about a third of the movie. Right. Mm -hmm. I think we can agree with that, right? Like you can make sense of the movie, but every slice that you take is going to eliminate some part of it that doesn't fit, right? So so you could say that this is the movie about credence, which if you've seen the other movies, you know who that is, and the sort of culmination of the credence story, which has been building uh, for a couple of movies now, which is BS and shouldn't be in this movie, right? Or you could say it's the culmination of the Newt, the Newt story and Newt kind of coming of age as a wizard, which uh, it looked like what this franchise was going to be about, but then it really wasn't. And that leaves out a bunch of stuff, right? You could say that it's about uh, Nazis, which would be accurate. You could say it was about January 6th in the United States, uh, 2021, which would be really accurate. Um, but all of these leave a little something. So the one that I'm most interested in is the Tenet version, which is here's the deal with this movie. If you haven't seen it, this is not really going to spoil it, but it's going to tell you what the premise is, which gets introduced about halfway through and dropped about three quarters of the way through. The premise of the movie, right, is that you have Dumbledore and Grindelwald. They are two wizards and they are they are dudes who are into dudes and they were together a long time ago when they were both young. They are both played by uh, older actors who are widely recognized as being super hot. And so you can sort of rationalize that when they were young, they were both really super hot and really, really, you know, together for that reason. Right. There's very little reason to believe that their personalities were at all compatible. They had some sort of very intense romance. And in this romance, they made this magical pledge that we described at the beginning of the uh, of the podcast to never go against each other. Right. To sort of bind their trough together so that one of them can't raise their hand at the other. 
it's it's real fairyland stuff, right? Where it's like this binding magical promise is going to make sure that neither of them can raise their hand at the other. And this is a problem because one of them basically becomes Hitler and the other one becomes uh, Dumbledore. <laughs> and, and you would expect in that situation, you know, there's two people ex- I expect in that front line against Hitler. One of them's Lady Edith right. and one of them is Dumbledore. Sure. <laughs> so, I mean, McGonagall's up there, too. She's the bridge. That's that you find out that the Dowager Countess is actually McGonagall and it all comes together in a great crossover event that we've all wanted to see. And then Rebel Wilson shows up as a cat. and You get really confused. But no, <laughs> <laughs> the idea is you have these two wizards. Right. And they have this blood pact where they can't go against each other. Uh, and so but they want to go against each other because they want to kill each other because the the Nazi guy thinks that the other guy is pretty much the most powerful wizard who's the biggest threat to him in the world. Uh, and the good guy wizard knows the other wizard is is Hitler. And so um, and so they they operate against each other through a series of elaborate proxies. And the, the trick is that the Hitler wizard can see the future. Right. And so which I don't know why he could do that. Yeah, I was about to say, do, is it established? Why is it? Is it? Don't because, remember. Yeah. Is and this is because is it, it kills and bathes in the blood of the of the. Of for, this, yeah. The prophetic. sacred deer. The best. Yeah. The the most realistic characterization in this whole movie. Uh, a CGI, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, yeah. CGI deer. Yes, exactly. So, yes, there's a CGI deer. So, OK. It's a magic oh. CGI deer. Sorry. Oh. Spoiler alert. They're twins. The whole the whole political system of this entire world is decided by Punxsutawney Phil and or that octopus that fits who, fits who wins the football game. Pete, I, <laughs> like, I, I, I'd, I'd like to uh, – yeah, absolutely. And yes. and this is – we should get into this. Yeah, Just yeah. as a gateway into this, Pete, I think the most thing uh, – the most apropos thing we can do here uh, is for you to explain a little bit about the television show Babylon 5. <laughs> Because okay. we've come on, we've come upon something that I think is going to enter okay. the lore books as an exemplar of, of one of the things that we've talked about for a while. I, I, right? I, it gave me pause, but I realized what you're talking yeah. about. Yes, exactly. So, spoilers for Babylon Five, which you really should have watched by now, because <laughs> although you know you'll never get to watch it like it originally was because they didn't do the DVD or master all that well, and all the computers got thrown out and <laughs> all the data on it, they can't remake the graphics. But um, Babylon Five, you think. That it's a story about a bunch of space commanders and diplomats on a space station who are involved in kind of Star Trekky kind of oh no there's a weird alien they're doing weird alien stuff uh, you know adventures uh, in space but then you realize over the course of the show in one of the first big evening mass entertainment you know serialized uh, adventure shows uh, right um, the the predecessor to things like uh, a contemporary of Deep Space Nine, more serialized than Deep Space Nine, a predecessor to Battlestar Galactica, of course, mm-hmm. uh, which is, of course, a direct oeuvre connection to Deep Space Nine. But anyway, you realize that there are these two ancient alien races that are, you know, deep, deep out there in space, and uh, and they ha- have a war against each other in which they're not allowed to go against each other directly, but have to act through proxies. Mm-hmm. And you realize you know, around the, the end of the second season of the show that this has sort of been happening. And then by the third season of the show, you start realizing which of the characters in the show have already become proxies with some with knowing it, some without knowing it for these different aliens that are fighting each other. Sure. Yes. And and uh, there's time travel. There's Star, Star Trek, by the way, tried to do this kind of thing with Enterprise uh, oh, with sort of mixed success. Right. Yes. Like where where. um 
where what's his name gets involved in a in a uh what is it called the temporal cold war Yes, right? And that's, yes, uh, yes. Okay. yeah, it was, wasn't, wasn't so successful. So, you know, it's, yes, they can't, they, there's proxy wars and stuff like that, but you know, it, it all plays out on the field of, it all plays out on the field of like the galactic United Nations, right? Yes. Like it, it all plays out in, in a, you know, complex and multi, multi-layered, uh, you know, game of political, you know, intrigue, yes, but also just day to day. You know, the the slow boring of hard boards um, yes. type of type of politics. Yes, and this is this is apropos for, for a number of reasons. Now, by that, Pete, um, I, I'd like to to propose that there's another way of solving this sort of problem. Okay. Which is to uh, recalibrate the surrounding Decaon field. <laughs> right. And so, so like, uh, and this is Star Trek. De- and th- Decaons. Okay. Yeah, this is, I, there are, yes, it's, it's a thing. There are okay. Decaon fields in Star Trek. I, I, I forget what they are. Um, maybe they're like Tachyons, but, uh, uh, but yes, Decaons, they, they exist. Uh, <laughs> how do they work? But the, um, uh, you know, but the, the, you might think that if you have a, a film that is about the governance of the, the magical community, yes. you know, and how a, um, uh, to us manifestly evil, but, but unaccountably popular, you know, uh, populist leader, kind of saber rattling, warmongering populist leader is, uh, gaining ground you know, in the community and a, a small band of, of people see what's going on and want to uh, want to stop it. Right. You might think that this, too, would be a uh, a, you know, film where we have to, like, go and have, like, intense arguments and discussions. Um, you know, we have to to really convince people to join our side we have right. to we have to we have to struggle with what was so attractive to us as a younger hotter wizard uh right. about this ideology where yep. we were you know we thought we could could remake the world as as kind of benevolent philosopher kings right and uh now we're older and realize the the limits of our uh the limits of our goodness and also the limits of our our powers even though we're magical and the the muggles are not um and that like this this might be a really meaty philosophically dense um sort of uh you know sort of film in fact this is a film about delivering a cgi deer to bhutan yes indeed <laughs> so that so that the underlying decion field can be recalibrated <laughs> <laughs> Yes. This is a Star Trek solution to a Babylon <laughs> 5 problem. Perhaps the Star Trekiest solution to the most Babylon 5 problem that we've talked about on the podcast. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. Yes. So uh so anyway, yes. it was just such a perfect exemplar of what we're we were talking about even though it was a long way around the barn to the punchline. I just I, I felt like we had to to mention it uh a little bit. The dearest Punxsutawney Phil, it can sense the goodness in your heart, right? Yes. If uh, if the deer comes out and and you know I don't know prances around and takes 
its uncertain steps and sort of kneels at your feet, uh, then you are good and uh, you can lead the wizards. And, uh, you know, so saith the deer. Um, if not, it's, I don't know what, four, four more centuries of, of wizard war or something right, like that. Something like that. Exactly. And so this movie, I think, <laughs> is... Uh, is is a sort of parallel forward and backwards kind of war where Dumbledore is trying to get the deer to the election. Uh, ideally, ideally, Grindelwald doesn't end up standing for election at all, right? Ideally, there's some sort of way that Grindelwald doesn't get to stand for the office of head honcho major domo of all wizards or whatever it is that he is, right? And he he doesn't take power, right? He'll never um, he'll never come out first in the primaries. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. We should just let him run because he'll, even though he, he, you know, uh, beat up a bunch of voting people at a voting polling place, you know, because because, you know, people will vote against him. And, and if we don't and if we if we don't let him run, then it just shows that our system is weak. Right. Um, we should prove we're strong by doing nothing, which is sometimes wise. But in this case, not so much. Uh, and so, yes, Dumbledore has an elaborate plan to go after Grindelwald. But because Grindelwald can see the future. Uh, and presumably can't see him, I guess, because he can't like even think about going against Dumbledore without his necklace choking him or the necklace that Dumbledore has. Again, doesn't all make sense. But uh, he he splits his plan up into a whole bunch of pieces, does not tell the audience what they are, does not tell the people who have them what they are. And these people are the various small, medium, large characters of the Fantastic Beast franchise who each have a different mission that to them makes no sense. And to us makes no sense. But ultimately, when it all comes together, will lead to Grindelwald's downfall by deer at the end of the movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, it's I think it's similar to Tenet in that we follow the protagonists. I mean, again, there are different protagonists in this movie. It changes all the time. But in particular, there's one muggle protagonist who gets kind of swept up in all of this and doesn't really understand what it is, um, but ends up being like really important to it. Right. And ends up sort of part of this whole plan. Grindelwald's plan is that, well, he can't just go after Dumbledore because Dumbledore is protected by this ancient phoenix spirit that his whole family is, right? Mm. And so and he's in trouble. This phoenix will protect him. So what Grindelwald needs to do is find a member of Dumbledore's family to act as his proxy to assassinate Dumbledore, which is what is the plot of the second movie – Although it isn't really explained in a satisfactory way in the second movie that this is what's being accomplished. Also, the second movie is also the one where they adjudicate the sort of political and personal conflicts of whether you should support Hitler or not. But that also isn't clear that that's what you're doing because it's like Johnny Depp with bleach blonde hair and a weird eye thing. And it's a very different performance and it's more about being a terrorist. It's it's um, at any rate. Yes. You have this this war that's going in two directions that's sort of orthogonal to each other, and you have these cameras that are following individual people as they kind of walk through complex cityscapes. You know, the camera is moving around and spinning around, and and people are doing things they don't fully understand to kind of arrive at this synchronized final confrontation uh, where where uh, this original moment, this sort of moment of love between Dumbledore and Grindelwald, will be returned to and exploded. Um, right. And, and so that, that to me felt like it's very tenant, a lot of the, the costume design, a lot of the production design, the fact that so much of it takes place in Bhutan, right. Just feels that sort of Nolan esque vibe on James Bond that you kind of feel from, uh, from tenant. Um, and there's a lot of like, uh, people doing things that they don't know what they're doing. Uh, and so there's a lot of, uh, carrying suitcases, 
duplicate suitcases because one of the suitcases has the deer in it, but nobody can know which one it is because then Grindelwald will know which one it is, and that can't happen. So, so that's our plot, right? Is that we now there's an hour of the movie or so before that starts, and then there's like a half an hour of, of the movie after it is no longer relevant. So, like, it's not really the whole movie, but to me, when you say, what are the secrets of Dumbledore, the secrets of Dumbledore are the elements of Dumbledore's plan to counteract Grindelwald, which are given to the various spread out characters who each have to do them independently in their little pieces of the movie, right? That's that's what they are. It's not just an arbitrary name. It actually means something, which is really impressive because that's not what I expected. I didn't expect the secrets of Dumbledore to mean anything. I thought it was just going to be Dumbledore, he's a wizard, he has secrets. But he has a kind of wizard plot. And and I'm reading, mentioned a couple times in the podcast that I'm reading the Dresden Files books now, which are also kind of pulpy, pop wizard action adventure books that are not exactly Harry Potter, you know, at all, because they're about adults, but they're kind of similar because they're sort of pop genre pieces. Uh, and in those, the wizards have plots like this all the time, where it's like, oh, man, this wizard meant to do that, but th- then they couldn't do it because they were bound by a magical oath, and they had to do this, and then they had to go into the future, and, like, all sorts of other crazy stuff's happening, right? Um, so it felt like that. It felt, But it felt like Dumbledore was the only one fighting a wizard battle, and everybody, every other wizard was just like, Okay, (laughs) like uh, we're 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 kind of participating in this fascist movement and we don't know why Um, we're certainly all angry. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen certainly looks great with a slicked over haircut. Uh, You know, maybe that's enough of enough of a persuasion. But anyway, I want to get that out of the way first, that that this movie feels like if J.K. Rowling tried to write Tenet and got sidetracked constantly with like in, in depth conversations about these sort of distinct characters who are memorable, but not important. Because uh, at the end of the day, it's all going to get resolved with a big explosive piece of mumbo jumbo that like is going to have character significance, but isn't going to be related to the rest of the plot. Right. Um, Harry Potter has the scar in his face from the very beginning of the beginning of the thing. And nothing that happens in the intervening time changes the fact that Harry Potter has the scar in his face. Right. And so as we head into the sort of end game, yeah, there's a bunch of other stuff that happens. There's a lot of things that are twists and turns and reversals and peripatia. But ultimately, what happens in Harry Potter isn't really the direct result of everything that's happened before in Harry Potter, as so much as it is an identification of what's distinct about the characters. Mm. And uh, and in this movie, I think that's what they're trying to do, um, I think. But they're trying to do so much, man. They're trying to do so much. I'll ask you this. Let, let me pivot away from this because, I mean, I'm assuming you don't have much to say about the tenant comparison. I thought it was really – I mean, I thought it was really uh, interesting when I, when I uh, you know, first heard you bring it up that like um, – but in, in tenant, you, you get the sense that there's – See, like it's it's tenet, but it's actually it's not J.K. Rowling's tenet so much as it is Dumbledore's tenet. Yeah, you know, yeah, yes, yes, right. Yes. And like I don't know, he has to he has to be a lot a lot cooler, right? <laughs> if he's yeah. gonna if he's gonna direct tenet, uh, right. if he's gonna direct wizard wizard tenet. Like I found just a lot of the the people kind of dramatically inert. I think I think it's a film where like things happen to people and and people don't cause things to happen. Uh, as much, I, you know, I found the, I found the, the newt, uh, what's his brother's name? Augustus. Theseus. 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 Yeah. Um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, and you know, when he meets his brother, is it even the same brother? You know, all the parts of him have been replaced, but the, (laughs) 
<laughs> the, uh, Sometimes you say things and I'm like, has he watched the second movie? And then he says things like, oh yeah, he's watched the second movie. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, why, like, why did they even go to Berlin? You know, it's completely, completely, uh, pointless and the the escape from the sarlacc pit was also you know just completely pointless um except if you like you know i don't know if, like uh monty python like if you like silly if you like a ministry of silly walks type of uh right. type of humor um that uh i you know i yeah i don't know i found i found that that ultimately you know tenet was was structurally ambitious and this is a uh this is more a i don't know a gesture at the fact that it's possible somehow to be structurally ambitious at, without actually with without actually accomplishing it right so that like uh, to me it was it, it wasn't a tenant because the organizing the organizing principle wasn't there like the organizing consciousness that like i don't know makes the cool plots and and stuff just didn't didn't happen in a satisfactory way but i you know i do see what you're you're on about um, yeah 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 about i mean I, I, i'm not saying it's necessarily successful for sure yeah. also can i can i take a minute just to talk about the theseus rescue scene just sure. okay so i think it's rare that I see a movie really vie with the Chronicles of Riddick for like an all time title, <laughs> but this uh-huh. movie might vie with the Chronicles of Riddick for like the dumbest and most over the top prison that I've seen in a fantastic <laughs> movie. So that, so just so in case you haven't seen it, and you're still listening. Awesome. I want you to picture this. The German secret police of the wizards right. has like a maximum security prison that is deep in the Alps, I guess is where it is. Right. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly where it was. I think it was in the mountains. I'm not sure. I forget. Uh, that is that is a giant tunnel in the ground that's structured like a panopticon, where all of the inmates are hang are are hanged by their feet, you know, in in sort of stone cubby holes, all staring at each other across more or less pitch darkness, except each of them has a lantern lit next to them. The whole place appears to be administered by a single human being who is old and narcoleptic and like, and like doesn't really do much. This is a prison. really excellent mustache game though. Yes. Very, very good German mustache game exactly. uh, on this, on this uh, prison warden. Yeah. The John Bolton was just like, Man, <laughs> if I were more into intellectual collaboration, I would figure out that guy's mustache secrets mm-hmm. um, is this is a, effectively a, a prison entirely owned and operated by non-anthropomorphic scorpions. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, like, like it is a big old prison, and all of the essential functions of the prisons appear to be carried out by these scorpion monsters that that are not on a human level of intelligence, right? And and sort of the it is a Rube Goldbergian design, which appears to serve no real purpose. Where you get a lantern hung next to you, hang next to you when you're hanged by your feet upside down in scorpion pit that has a magical firefly in it. And when the lantern goes out, the scorpion, the giant scorpion tail comes up and impales you right now. They could just impale you at the beginning, right? Like they could just like be like, you know what? This is a prison where you're going to be executed. Uh, but no, they leave open the possibility that the giant scorpion will not impale you if your lantern doesn't go out. Uh, and um, there also are all these dozens and dozens of scorpion guards who uh, are presumably trying to 
uh, intercept any attempts to visit these people or rescue them, uh, but who are conveniently just short enough that they can't kill the people hanging by their by their ankles by like a couple of inches, right? So like you're caught between the scorpion and the deep blue sea here. <laughs> it's, it's like it's it's just it's like scorpion to the left of me, scorpion to the right, and here I am stuck in the middle with scorpion. Um, and, and and so like of course. This is a problem. This is a solution in charge of in, in search of a problem. The solution is for some reason that fail that nobody knows this movie series has as its main protagonist a naturalist, right? Yeah. Like yes. a zoologist, a sort of uh, a uh, I, I would even say what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, it's not. It's like the philo- philological, the equivalent to philology of zoology, wherein you are the one who goes out there and observes animals in their habitat and their sort of beauty and, and behaviors and you catalog them. Yeah. Right? What is that? Like um, a, a, a taxonomist of some kind. There, or there's a term like for it. Yeah. There's a term for it. And I will, I will be Googling it while I'm talking uh, so that I could tell you what it is before I'm done. But, but like, okay, one of your main characters is really expert on dealing with magical animals. He needs to do something that involves magical animals. Okay. What if his brother is in scorpion prison? <laughs> like, okay, fine. And you're like scorpion, like in mortal combat. Like, no, 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 scorpion, scorpion. Um, the <laughs> word that I'm looking for is ethologist. Okay. And these are these are ethologists. Ethology is, uh, I think, the um, one of the sayings of it is that you can't you to describe an organism, uh, you should use its own language, right? So if you want to understand moths, you should understand kind of how moths communicate and not assume that moths like talk like people or have like human like concerns, right? Like, what is it about bees? that makes the bee dance a dance, right? And not sort of focus on it. So like observe these things, catalog them. That's kind of the findings of ethology are things like the bee dance and stuff like that. And, and Newt's commander is absolutely an ethologist. Uh, well, um, he knows the lobster dance and not lobster scorpion. Yes. He knows the scorpion dance. The scorpion. I mean, I guess they are sort of lobsters. They kind of look like prawns or perhaps, uh-huh. uh, you know, they, they definitely have a shrimpy exterior, but, uh, but a scorpion esque uh, way of solving problems. But yes. And he knows a, spe- a silly dance that will, uh, in the Hitler movie, he knows a silly dance that will get the scorpions to not molest him as he goes to rescue his brother, who, of course, is a, is the head of the British Secret Service of yep. Magic, but is vanished and nobody cares where he is and nobody's checking up on him uh, because this whole this whole government is run by animals that don't even have human level intelligence. Um Okay, fair enough, fine. But I just wanted to comment on that. The crematoria, the uh, the prison where the only real guard is the fact that the sun is so hot that if you go outside, you die. Mm. Um, and uh, so if you can't keep up, don't step up. And where you go in there and people just battle each other with chains all the time is um, is pretty dumb. But uh, but but Scorpion Land and Fantastic Beasts and uh, and and how to coo them is uh, is not is not <laughs> not so great. So yes. Um, so yes, we talked about the tenant angle. We've talked about Theseus is an interesting character, probably not worth going into. I do want to talk about Newt. Yep. Do do you like Newt? And I mean, I mean, let's go back to the, like think of the whole series. What's what's your deal with Newt? How do you feel about Newt? What's what's the deal with Newt? What's the deal with Newt? I I feel like he he uh sort of needs to he needs to come on a come of age. He needs to like get his groove back. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. You know. Yeah. That like the the. The problem with Newt is that he's well. Really, the problem with Newt is that he's either very badly socialized or else neuroatypical in a way that that makes him uh, makes it a lot easier for him to have kind of 
empathy with and relationships with magical animals than with other people. Yeah. Uh, and that like really the sort of the plot, really this should be a Joseph Campbell hero's journey arc, right? Where he ends up as master of two worlds, realizing that like he, he can live, there is kind of room for him to live among the humans in, you know, in the human world with human concerns, like a, you know, nice heterosexual girlfriend, um, uh, and you know he doesn't necessarily have to give up everything that's that's interesting, unique, or f- about him or fulfilling about his life uh, in order to do that. But that also, like, he can he can continue to you know use his special his special gifts uh, in a way that that doesn't alienate him from people, and in fact will make him uh, you know I don't know a very useful textbook author by the uh, by the Harry Potter era, right? Like right. that 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 this is what sort of happens and like the the amount eddie redmayne is very good at this i'd say as a performance it's a skillful one in that he like he looks at the goings-on with perplexity like Mm -hmm. with a perplexity that would strain credulity if his character seemed even slightly more savvy uh about you know the workings of of actual human society um Right. And, and he's, you know, I don't know. I, I thought that the, the magic deer was going to bow to Newt at some point, mm, uh, yeah. because he, he is sort of very pure of heart in that, like, he likes what he likes. He wants what he wants, which is to like collect and, and preserve, you know, and be in harmony with his animals. And that's, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have any like ambition beyond, beyond that, you know, and that, that rather than the, the deer kneeling at the, um, uh, kneeling at the feet of some, some character who no one's ever heard of before. And we don't, we don't care about, yeah. uh, Does it I, ha- do they have maybe two lines in the whole movie? Yeah. Barely. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Barely. Exactly. And yeah, exactly. And one of them is what or something <laughs> like that. Uh, that, that, yeah, that's, so I, I don't know. I feel, I, I feel like, and this is, this is supposed to be his franchise, right? Like you're not supposed to have Jude Law in this franchise. It's supposed to be the Eddie Redmayne franchise where he plays the, you know, I don't know. He sort of plays the, the Harry Potter analog, you yeah. know, and, and yeah, he, he sort of gets, he gets indoctrinated into into the world, except the world is is like responsible adult life and not necessarily like, you know, the family romance of of actually being a wizard and, you know, being taken away from your your miserable family. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's I. So I don't know. And and then he doesn't he doesn't really do anything important. You're right. They they have these kind of like make work scenes for him where like, uh, you know, where the platypus and the stick bug become uh, become very crucial uh, in order just to give him something to do. Yeah, totally. I totally hear what you're saying. hundred percent. hundred percent. I think that you articulated a lot of it very well. Uh, I'll build on it. I like Newt a lot and I, and I yearn to see what Newt's story actually would be because this ain't it. You know, this ain't it, champ. Right. And it seems like it's what seems to me after thinking about it for a while is that Eddie Redmayne has imbued Newt with something that Newt probably shouldn't have to be in the movie that was supposed to happen, I guess, uh, or something that is just very counter to what they're doing. Um, But I think honestly, maybe even more than that, I think I want to talk about uh, Porpentina 
right, Tina, in in relation to this, right? Because because this is a Harry Potter spinoff, and well, it's not a spinoff prequel, right? And so it starts out with a Harry Potter, you know, group. There's Newt is Harry Potter. He's the sort of lonely, misunderstood, right? Do I belong here? Do I not belong here? I'm really, really good at what I do. I have undeniable talents and I seem to be destined for greater things. Um, but I'm also, you know, I'm kind of on the outside of this kind of social world. Uh, and then you have Queenie and Kowalski. Uh, well, you have what you have is you have Kowalski, who's the Ron Weasley, who's the sort of I'm the everyman. You know, I, I, I don't really don't really strike you as kind of a fancy wizard person, but I'm going to be really important in this story because I'm going to be buddies with the, with the main people. And then you have Hermione, but you split Hermione into two characters, right? Mm -hmm. You have, you have Tina and you have Queenie and Tina is Hermione's no nonsense, hardworking, intelligent, capable, right. Uh, you know, kind of feminist side. And Queenie is Hermione's like attractive, bubbly, uh, also powerful, but sort of socially powerful, uh, and kind of mysterious and charismatic side. And, and whereas Hermione had both of these things in different degrees, in different parts of the story, um, you know, you now have two characters who are trying to do both of them. And, and what you end up with is sort of Queenie as a bit of a caricature and Tina as just really underdeveloped in the first movie uh, and the second movie to the extent that they don't even put her in this movie. And it's kind of offensive, right? Like, like they show a picture of her and I think they photo, they like composite her into one of the final shots standing blurrily in the background. Uh, I do want to talk about the one scene she's in, in this movie, which is just lovely. Um, after I finish talking about this, which is just that they they don't give, they're like, okay, well, the problem with Harry Potter is that Harry Potter doesn't really get to be with a main character. He gets with Ron Weasley's sister, right? Um, and what really we want to have two couples. Great. That's how this is going to be. It's going to be like Harry Potter. We're going to have two couples instead of one couple. Instead of coming up with a different female character, we're going to take what works and we're going to split it in half. And the movies invest a lot of time and energy in Queenie and Kowalski being campy and cute and funny and not particularly realistic, but kind of identifiable and sympathetic. Uh, and then he's got the, the he's point, got the horse right here. Uh, his yeah, name yeah. is Paul Revere. <laughs> I want to keep dancing in the hot box no more. I want to get married. <laughs> like, I'm also a mind reading wizard uh, of great power. So it's not just very it's not just rote, but it's like. Yeah, exactly. Right. They're they're a Damon Runyon story and uh, Damon Runyon over your house elf with my crystal carriage. Um, and <laughs> and the thing that that somewhere along the line, Eddie Redmayne and Catherine Waterston did was like present a sort of actual credible kind of sexy and interesting dynamic between the two of them, which like is not in the script at all. And is kind of baffling, but also I think really watchable. Like, like I feel like I like, I like Newt and Tina a lot in the early, in the early movies in this, in this franchise. So it's only three of them. And I feel like they connect and there's no reason for that. That is articulated in anything that happens in the movie, other than what the scene where Tina has to jump out of the execution chair with Eddie, with uh, Newt, like encouraging her to kind of turn toward the future rather than towards her kind of traumatic memories. And the idea that Newt has this gentleness and sensitivity that even though Tina is like deeply traumatized, she kind of finds in him the gentleness that she needs to be able to direct toward herself in order to function. Right. And there's a real tenderness to it and everything. And it's just like, 
you get to the point and, and, then, and then they look at that first movie and like this movie didn't do as well as, as we thought it did. And it's like, why? Oh, because we put this Tina chick in it other than Dumbledore. Right? Like we got to put all the Harry Potter people in this. Can we get teen Hagrid in this nonsense? Right. Right? Like, but it's like we got to have more Dumbledore. We got to have more Wizard War. We got to have more. We got to name check McGonagall. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just without her really being important or doing anything. Exactly. No, exactly. Yeah, we just got to we just got to put it in. It's like um it's like the citation game in academia. Like some, some, uh, some of our, our colleagues who are academics have talked about like how you just have to, doesn't even matter if you make use of the material that you cite. You just sometimes just have to cite certain, uh, authors yes. or sources to mm-hmm. like demonstrate your, your bona fides in a, you know, in a particular field or demonstrate what kind of, what kind of school of, uh, of you know your field you're you're repping um as an academic and you know uh we're uh, we're we're apparently repping the school of whatever uh makes these the whatever has in the past made these these films popular uh or mm-hmm. books or whatever and and not like what would make this unique story <laughs> very yeah. good yeah it wasn't to me it wasn't a franchise that was frankly calling out for dumbledore uh no you know dumbledore um, finds you don't have to call up for dumbledore he finds you in your in your room of requirement in your hour of need right absolutely he's the character you can say anything about he's the eagles from uh you know from classic rock not 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 not, not from the the lord of the why didn't gandalf just ride the eagles to mordor because then he'd be dumbledore and he's not dumbledore he's gandalf that's that's your answer right there next time someone asks you that why didn't gandalf just have the eagles fly them you'd be like because dumbledore would have done that and that's a different book because <laughs> <laughs> tolkien read harry potter and he knew that he didn't want to be like dumbledore right. <laughs> but um but but i thought yeah another thing is like the harry potter books are children's books right you know they're children's books for adults but you know you read them and, and you know, i think there's a there's obviously the, the protagonists are teenagers or children and they're kind of accessing a childlike relationship to storytelling and romance and and adventure and coming of age and all this stuff and and there's nothing in this that suggests that that in any of these movies that suggests that they're able to handle an actual adult relationship right um and what it would be like because everything is so caricatured and infantilized which is not you know it's a it's a feature not a bug because it's a damon runyon story you know it's uh and and it's it's being painted with a broad brush but uh but yeah but sort of and then and then and then hitler shows up well, yeah, right. Because yeah, it's yeah. they're like there are parts of it that happen, and I, you know, I I'm not sure if this is exactly where you're going, but there there are parts of it that happen at really different registers of you know seriousness, yeah. uh, versus versus solemnity, right? Like a, a lot of it happens at a very high level of solemnity, but but the part that involves you know the part that involves the Hitler analog is actually very serious, and. Uh, you know, it doesn't doesn't necessarily belong in a Damon Runyon story. Um, yeah. You know, I don't uh, maybe. The Hitler drop kid is, was not a, a big hit uh, <laughs> with Bob Hope and Hitler. <laughs> no, Bob Hope did his own part against Hitler. Uh, that is that is for certain. Um, but but yes. Yeah, so. So, OK, so the movie, one of the reasons I'm glad I saw this movie is the number of different ideas for what this movie could have been. I find really entertaining and interesting. So like because it, it seems like if you just put down, if you just wrote down what everybody in the movie is doing, there are implications that the movie doesn't address that are interesting. OK, so when Tina shows up at the end of this movie and and, and they and meets Newt outside of the wedding of Kowalski and Queenie. Now we're mm, really into mm-hmm. spoilers here. 
I don't think I have ever in my life in a movie seen two characters played by live action actors be more convincingly and thoroughly in love with each other than Newt Scamander and Tina Goldstein are in that moment when they see each other on the sidewalk. Mm. My heart like jumped in my chest when I saw them. Not even, not even Ryan Reynolds and whoever played his girlfriend at the beginning of RIPD. (laughs) No, no, no. I believe Ryan Reynolds was happy there. I don't necessarily (laughs) believe that they were in love. Uh, I mean, they loved each other. That's for sure. But no, not even, not even Deadpool and his girlfriend, right? Like not even, uh, I mean, this is this was like it's a Casablanca story, right? So like, sure, it, yeah, so, and it even has that aesthetic a little bit, in yeah. A, you know, in a film that is really kind of dra- drained of its its color saturation, that yeah. really exists in kind of a sepia tone, uh, yeah. you know, sort of visual space. So what you have is you have if you want to like recalibrate and say like, well, what is actually happening between them at this point in the story? Because the story doesn't seem to care. Uh, he is a member of the British Magical Secret Service or like a mercenary, right? An academic who's been pressed into the service of like British wizard intelligence to try to stop Hitler from taking over Europe, right? And his girlfriend, who he's sort of off again, they never were really on again with, but they very clearly have a deep, intense relationship. This person that he really, if they were in the same place at the same time for any length of time, they would either be together romantically or they would be like best friends, right? Um, Because one thing that isn't really explored is their sexuality, which could be anything. (laughs) Like Eddie Redmayne, everything's on the table anytime Eddie Redmayne is in the movie. (laughs) Like he is, he could be Ace, right? He could be Ace Ventura, you know, Lace's out whole nine yards jk rowling you know don't write that movie but um, <laughs> but but uh but like the idea that he is a british agent who is convinced of the necessity of dealing with hitler and she is the head of basically the fbi right she's like the head of the american wizard police and she can't come and help the british because she is in america right and oh man, if only there was some sort of real life story about how the Americans couldn't help the British deal with Hitler <laughs> and it was really dramatic and difficult to deal with and had like a lot of tension and pain associated with it, right? If only. Like if only, if only there was some sort of like, you need to come and help me. And he's like, I can't, you don't understand there would be a war. And he's like, there's going to be a war, you know, like, except he doesn't look at her and he's kind of like, oh, there's going to be a war. The, the, you should have seen that animal when it was dying and, and Bads Mickelson bathed in a bath of its blood. Stuff's weird over here, man. <laughs> like, uh, I, I'm like I'm like going into Bill Paxton, you know, it's like uh, in Aliens. But no, um, but like their relationship is interesting in this movie, but she is not in it. And I feel like I feel like the people making the movie have set themselves up as the antagonist by doing something like this, where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, she's she's busy. Here's a picture of her. Uh, and it's like, screw you, man, um, because you don't care about the like actual the core relationship, because I think one of the other things about Newt is that. You know, it, part of why we would expect him to be the protagonist is that he's a white male of a certain age, right, or at least of a certain skinniness and uh, and, and a certain cheekbone age and a certain jawline and whatnot, that you would expect him to be the sort of coming-of-age hero of a fantasy adventure movie. Um, but this movie is very – has a lot of points of view. It has a lot of characters. And I think I get the sense, or at least not all of these movies, that – there was a certain rebellion against the idea that this movie, these movies were going to have a central Luke Skywalker figure, and mm. you were instead going to get a bunch of them. And I don't necessarily think that the movie – that it's impossible to make a good adventure movie in which you spread around the protagonist-ness-ness. 
But the characters in the Fantastic Beasts franchise are not all equally suited to carry the narrative. And also, there just aren't strong choices to really put it in the lap of anybody. It kind of feels like a rather than a bold decision to be have multiple centers of gravity, it feels like a non-decision where Newt doesn't become the center of the story, but neither does anybody else at any given time. Um, because it, it, committing in one way or the other, like this could also be the, this whole thing could have been the Kowalski story, mm-hmm. right? Like he's the fantastic beast in the first movie, right? He's like, oh man, this weird dude who's totally unexpected is, you know, wandered into our lives and, and we found him in the wild and his behavior and life is totally different from ours. Sure. He's you know? a stray. Yeah. He's yeah, a, exactly. You know. Exactly. Newt's a fantastic beast. Kowalski is a fantastic beast. Um, all that stuff. So. So, yes, I feel like there is a problem with this movie where they don't know who's supposed to be in the center of it at any given time and that it was a conscious choice made not to make Newt the center of the movie because you don't want to be doing this sort of rote, chosen, one-y thing um, with this guy. You know, you want it to be more interesting than that. But you didn't actually have anything more interesting um, to because, as evidenced by the fact that Tina Goldstein, you did, you believed in her so little that you bail on her by the third film. Right. And it's like, yeah, Princess Leia couldn't make it. Princess Leia had to go to Kashyyyk to talk to the Wookiees. <laughs> like, I, thought, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, th- I think it's a I think we're in a Terminator salvation situation where they're kind that, of like that already. Oh, yeah, man. Where it's yeah. that that like the movie, the script is kind of a palimpsest, you know, with okay, sure, and like sure. it, that it was re- crux or <laughs> <laughs> it actually it's, you know, a book is a bridge to another world, Pete. And so oh. when you unfurl the, the the book, the pages make a bridge. And you can run across it while the the bad wizards go pew 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 behind you. Yeah. Um, the uh, no that that like the script for this. I I think there was some period of rewriting on this. Certainly, uh, you know, certainly the secrets of Johnny Depp have uh, you know I don't know caused some some his his domestic and business strife uh, caused some disruption in the the production of this film. So like there were one or perhaps multiple um, occasions to kind of go back uh, to the drawing board, you know, Mm. and that like the, maybe the, the film, maybe a new film was injected to the corpse of the old film without eradicating entirely the uh, what I'm saying is maybe this film was reanimated, you know, maybe Mm. this film had its throat slit very early on in its production process and yet it was reanimated and made to do things that you know no living film would actually have uh no living film would actually have done i don't you know i don't know but i think i i do think that like part of the complexity that you're talking about is an artifact of having sort of multiple concerns going on simultaneously at at different levels you know um and and the fact that like you know and and when you're you're in that kind of perplexity like oh well we just have to deliver the magic deer to the top of a mountain in Bhutan at the end of the uh, at the end of the film and that's uh, that 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 will uh, count as us having you know r- wrapped up all of these these many many storylines of Tom Stoppard's Arcadia you know <laughs> together um, that like. Uh, the the magic the magic deer um and the the bowing at the end of it right 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 like notably it is not tibet right (laughs) that they go to it is bhutan um so it's something you could add safely without you know engendering a lot another here's another weird thing about this movie i think the shooting concluded in february of 2021 Mm. i think and it seems to really be about the january 6th attempted coup 
in insofar as much as the entire thing happens on like the steps of the Capitol and it's like highly disruptive and it's sort of like there, you know, this sort of, it just seems very reminiscent. And it's like, that stuff happened a month ago. You have, you have all of these, you know, agitators, you have all of these sort of fascist agitators showing up at your election, right? Yeah. Where, where a leader is chosen, I guess, by acclamation, you know, I don't know why they even get to do it by acclamation. That doesn't make any yeah, sense. The, but the parliamentary was, procedure of this whole thing is already out the window. Oh my God. See. Yeah. When, when you talk about it and also, by the way, doesn't each, uh, I, I didn't realize there was an international organization for the, for magic. I thought that each country, you know, operated in sort of a co-equal way with the, with its ministry of magic, you know, uh, you know, or in America, you know, I don't know. It was probably does not called a ministry. What the department of magical affairs or something yeah. like that. Um, that like, uh, that, that there wasn't a, like a grand high wizard. I thought that the whole, you know, the whole point of, um, the whole point of the Harry Potter franchise, the, the seven books, you know, the seven canonical books is that like, uh, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And we really should not have like a grand high pooba, uh, of all of this stuff just because, you know, it's human nature or wizard nature or whatever to make it, uh, uh, you know, to, to even put someone in that role. But no, apparently where, where we're, we're doing it by, by acclamation. And look, the, 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 it seems like, uh, Grindelwald is getting popular support. And, and you think that like his supporters are going to go quietly? You know, mm-hmm. you think that like there's not going to be a riot on the steps of the mountain of, of Bhutan? Uh, right. that a lot, a lot of stuff doesn't, doesn't uh a lot of yeah. stuff doesn't track um i had one moment of delight in the film which is when the platypus grabbed the coins yes and that was so nice it was so wonderful and i <laughs> i had forgotten that about the platypus that they you know that they sort of collect shiny things that's their their one defining feature um and the yes it was very nice i got a big laugh a big uh oh, yeah. earned laugh in my in my movie theater yeah, you should have. To- they could have totally done a Pixar style short at the beginning of just the platypus and the little tree guy doing stuff. At the beginning, of- I did like the first two scenes of this movie a lot, and I felt like the movie that they promised us was really going to be a good movie. The and- first two scenes, meaning the the Dumbledore, the Jude Law, Mads Mikkelsen uh, coffee date, yes, right, and yes. and then the uh, the uh, birthing, the killing of a sacred deer scene, exactly, or the, exactly. the birthing of a sacred deer scene. I, exactly. I guess I should say. They seemed related to each other. They seemed kind of claustrophobic, intense. It seemed like the movie wasn't going to just stop for exposition. And it it felt like we were going to head into something like Infinity War, mm. where it was going to be all the different characters from Fantastic Beasts and they were going to be in really intense situations. But no, those were just the sort of hooks. And then it was like, OK, let's talk about stuff, everybody. Everybody get in a room. Everybody stand around. Um, it actually it wasn't not not like Infinity War. There wasn't a time travel element to it, mm-hmm. but it's like you know, kind of a heist. It's a reverse heist. You movie mean Endgame? Because, You're talking about Endgame. Endgame. Yes, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a reverse heist movie, right? We're trying to get, and we all have like every every character or kind of duo like has a different mission, yeah. you know. And so we're and we're trying to to get the sacred deer into uh into Bhutan instead of like you know smuggling it out of Bhutan uh but like it it actually kind of had that uh it definitely you know had that had that structure to it but it wasn't i don't know i i wanted it I, you're right it was at the i think at the end of this as we sort of you know come to come to the close of our hour on this i i 
I just, I think it could have benefited from being a little less Tenet and a little more Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, just make it more of a heist, I guess. Yeah, yeah that would make sense. Where the well, yeah, but where the there is some pleasure in like figuring out. There's some pleasure in sort of withholding or uh, revealing information, you know, mm-hmm. and like oh, all along that was this. Especially if you know, especially if um, the plot makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> you so- know that like the the uh the the sequences in Ocean's 11 the way it's told where they all do their different parts and they're all they don't seem to be related but they all kind of come together at the very end and and you end at the Bellagio fountains you know this movie yeah. needed to end at the Bellagio fountains yeah. is what i'm saying yeah well here's the thing though and this is the thing we haven't talked about and there's a good reason we haven't talked about this uh, because sometimes when people talk about this sort of thing, they draw attention from people that you don't want to get attention from. So let's just say that the re- we should be glad that Newt doesn't get elected president of the Wizards by the Deer Committee at the end of this movie, because whoever is going to be the winner of this thing, if it's not Grindelwald, right, is uh, they are taking a one way trip off uh, the the. Uh, the what is it? The Av- Arvada Kedavra escalator. Right? Like, <laughs> they are uh, they are going to be riddled with problems. <laughs> they are going to be uh, they they are going to uh, be deathly hallowed. Uh, or I don't know hollowed out. <laughs> but basically, here's the thing. All right, Voldemort's going to kill whoever wins this movie. <laughs> like that's the, this this is what this Grindel- is the, the baby Yoda problem, right? The Grind- baby Yoda problem is like. Why isn't Baby Yoda in the Star Wars movies, the first ones? And the answer is because they hadn't come up with him yet, right? But the <laughs> fictional answer, because fictional worlds have to be real, is like because someone killed him, right? Like, like you have to when you're watching The Mandalorian, and it's like, oh man, what's going to happen to Baby Yoda? Where's he going to go? Is he going to be a Jedi? But all the Jedi are dead. Oh my God, someone's going to catch Darth Vader is going to kill Baby Yoda. Like that is something that's going to happen. And one of the main kind of meta textual franchise plays of the Mandalorian is try to figure out a way that the story doesn't end with Darth Vader killing baby Yoda, right? Like, uh, like how does that even work? How does that happen? Um, and I think that this movie has that hanging over everybody because, because as much as this wants to be an analog for the 20th century in Harry Potter, the 20th century doesn't happen the way that it happens in real Mm. life. Right? Like what is the period of time of, let's just say it Voldemort's, Right. He can come and get us if he wants. Make sure he likes and subscribes, hits the bell for notifications before he uh, hits our bell for our Vada Kedavra-ing and whatnot. <laughs> but like there's a period of time in which Voldemort has like a terror, a reign of terror. Right. Like even worse than a reign of terror where he like he, he rules the wizard world. He hates the muggles. Does he he commit like awful atrocities like. Yes. He's like he's a horrible person and and not only a horrible person, he's like a horrible thing that happens in the world that's larger than any of the people who are in the world. And, and I mean, is he around for I don't get the sense that Harry Potter stops him from becoming a thing. He puts an end to a thing that already existed uh, is my sense. Now, maybe I'm incorrect and maybe I'm investing. Uh, he must not be named with more than he's worth. But uh, are we also aren't we too early for that? Isn't the Grindelwald era a generation or two before the Tom Riddle era? Oh, spoiler yeah. alert! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the idea, right? Is that like in Harry Potter, Voldemort is kind of Hitler, but he isn't Hitler happening when Hitler happened. He's Hitler happening in like the eighties and nineties. Yep. Right, and so. Uh, I want to make a joke about him being Margaret Thatcher, but that's just not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, 
you know, Grindelwald is going to be followed by somebody worse than Grindelwald because we meet Grindelwald in the Harry Potter books and he isn't as bad as Voldemort. Mm. Right. He he is much more of a kind of like old world, withered, old, stupid guy. Right. Who like made mistakes or whatever. Uh, again, you know, not good choices in his life, but like not Voldemort. And so like I'm so I was surprised how how directly Hitlerish with like Berlin and like letting him stand for election and the sort of Hindenburg character. Right. They went with with Grindelwald because where do you go? You know, where do you go from Hitler? And that part of the answer is, well, if people don't see this movie. You don't go anywhere because this thing's done. Right? Like we're not we are not trotting out Newt's commander for another lap around the block. If uh, this thing isn't making money. I thought there were supposed right? to be three of these. Then I heard there were supposed to be five of them. And it yep. was like, you know, uh, and yeah, absolutely. This this definitely I I definitely had the feeling with the second movie that it was an advertisement for the other better movie that would come. But then it yeah. turns out that we need to like shift gears, get Mads Mikkelsen up to speed. And like, so then this is going to be uh, the thing for the other, the other better movie that, that will come. And I just don't know. I just don't know when the other better movie is going to come. When yeah. will the other better movie be here, Pete? Uh, soon. Okay. Got it. <laughs> as soon as it's in one of the suitcases, I forget which one <laughs> they're carrying it in our general direction. It needs to get to Bhutan first. Uh, no, if, with your, with your, uh, your analogy, I think the understanding is that the better movie is a different cut of this movie, which is in a suitcase somewhere in the world that has been abandoned, that somebody will eventually bring at the opportune moment, just when we need to see it. Uh. Um, but maybe, maybe they'll make a fourth one who knows. But the point being that like, you know, uh, the bad guy isn't here yet. You know, Grindelwald is not the the bad guy. Um, the bad guy is on his way. And, uh, you know, it's it's that and that doesn't hang over this movie much. It sure. never mentioned. And I, and I kind of I don't know. I felt about credence that sort of it was implied in credence because Creed is in the extent that Newt is the Harry Potter figure and Kowalski is the Ron Weasley figure and Tina and Queenie together are the Hermione figure. Then credence is the Tom Riddle figure who like starts out as a sort of regular kid, but hurt people, hurt people. And he goes down a dark road and he gets progressively more powerful and awful. And like, you're trying to help him and save him and maybe prevent something worse from happening to him because you're there when he's young, you're not there after it's all happened, but it might be too late. Right. And then like, uh, and then, and then we'll see something similar or notable in its differences from what happened in Harry Potter. But uh, you know, because eventually Tom Riddle will show up um, and Tom Riddle still hasn't showed up. It's not like Gotham where it's like, oh, you know, it's the Joker and the Penguin and they're all here. And where's Batman? And like, where's the tension? You know, where's the where's the surprise? Um, or even like the Batman where the Joker shows up like, hey, I'm the Joker. I'm in this movie. Just in case you were wondering, I'm in this world. <laughs> you don't have to worry <laughs> that I'm not. I'm here. I'm already clown. Don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, so like it could have been Ocean's Eleven, but it also it also could have been like much more of a kind of the Empire Strikes Back where they really try to stop Grindelwald and they failed, eh. right? Or like they really try to stop Grindelwald and Grindelwald, you know, is is stopped, but Grindelwald's movement goes on, right? And somebody in charge of Grindelwald's movement is actually kind of more dangerous than Grindelwald or like they send them to ground and now they can't deal with them anymore. But what I'm doing is I'm answering your question, which is like, well, why is there a global government of wizards? Because Voldemort's going to take it over. Mm. And, and once it once because it's the League of Nations and once once the World War Two happens, they're like, huh, this League of Nations thing where everybody is kind of bound by treaty to everybody else. Uh, it's not really working for dealing with these kinds of crises. Right. Um, so we're going to, we're going to try something different. We're going to try one that, that works differently. We're going to let the countries be a little bit more independent from each other. Um, 
and uh, and see how that works out. So so I think that's the answer. But then again, who knows? Because at one point there were six, there were seven suitcases in this movie. At one point there were five suitcases in this movie. I don't know how many suitcases were supposed to be in this movie. I don't know if we even saw all the suitcases in this movie. So uh, there, there are like small errors in kind of factual things or like confusing things, even if they're not errors about facts, where um, where it makes me wonder whether it's worth it well, not whether it's worth it, because it's only worth it if it's fun. But it makes me feel like it's less fun to speculate about what the movie could be about, what could come after it, because a lot of it is just kind of thrown at a wall like spaghetti, um, mm. and you don't know. Uh, Matt, can I complain to you about one thing about this movie that just really, really got to me? Just let's, really got to me. Let's close on this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Bring it. More than anything else. You know Mad Men? I, yes, I'm familiar. Okay, so you're familiar with Mad Men. What, uh, you're familiar with The Crown. Yes, I'm uh, We've familiar talked with about the Mad Men. We've talked about The Crown. Yes. Uh, one thing that Mad Men and The Crown both have in common, uh-huh. right, is that they are period pieces that are very involved with the quality of expensive things. Oh, I thought you meant uh, Jared Harris. Yes, Jared Harris. The, the, the actor Jared Harris. Yes. But no, that's, not, that's not what you're talking about. I'm not talking about Lane kind of, in Mad Men and uh, George the – oh, I forget the number – who plays uh, Elizabeth's father, the young Elizabeth's father in, in The Crown. I'm not talking about the sort of creation of ideology in Western institutions. I'm talking about the sound that nice things make, mm. right? Which is Mad Men. There's constantly fabric rubbing against fabric all the time because everybody's wearing these starched business outfits and dresses and stuff. And so you're constantly hearing the kind of satin and silk and the, you know, the wool and everything moving around as everybody moves around. Definitely both, okay. both uh, shows concerned with the material qualities and quality, quality and qualities of uh, the world that they depict. Yes. And and the crown we talked about in our crown cast at one point, all the doors close with very satisfying sounds because mm. all the doors are big and heavy. Ka-chunk. Um, so in the first scene of this movie, Jude Law is wearing a great suit, right? And it's very well lit. Baz Mickelson also dressed great. And you're like, OK, so this is going to be a movie that's going to have great suits in it. I can, I can I can sort of see, OK, why are you making a Harry Potter movie about adults? Mm. Um you know why? Because the setting is cool because Harry Potter is kind of about kids going to the boarding school setting where things are kind of uh, kind of old world and have this this material quality and aesthetic that is kind of has a certain captivating quality to it. And I want to use that as an aesthetic inspiration for some of the, the stories, right? Because inspiration comes from all sorts of places. Uh, we're going to do this. This story in the mid 20th century about adult wizards, uh, because we want to use an adult version of that aesthetic, right? You know, the the wrought iron of the lamp posts and the and the hound's tooth of mm. the tweed jackets, mm-hmm. right? And this is going to be the one where we're going to really start seeing that come through, because this is the one where we're going to have two very high class gay guys who are going to be really well dressed for the whole movie, and they're going to be the main characters, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, they're going to know what's up with regards to fashion. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the quality of clothes. What I mean is the quality of the clothes. Not just they look good, but that like we're going to get a sense that they're like bespoke. The scenes are going to feel put together. It's going to feel upscale. It's mm-hmm. going to have that impressiveness. And and there is a there is a the, in this movie, Matt. There's a lot of snow. Mm. There is a lot of dirt. Mm. There is a point in which Newt's commander gets down and King and, and trips and falls and scuffs his foot up or something in like a pile of, of, of goopy human remains briefly, like just a little bit, not a lot, but like scorpion, sort of scorpion bile or whatever yeah, scorpion it is. bile. There's all sorts of weird detritus. And there are two scenes in the movie in which any of it gets on anybody's clothes. Mm. There's one, which is a shot for laughs 
where newt enthusiasts i think sit up and they have leaves on the back of their jackets which is notable because if you look back at everything that happened before they never got anything on their jackets Mm -hmm. right and then there's also the very last scene with jude lawways outside he has like a couple of snowflakes on his jacket on his coat Mm. there is a scene a fight scene that is fought in a blizzard where jude law is wearing a felt hat and he gets no snow on it Mm -hmm. and 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 i this doesn't sound like a big deal but this is i think this is a huge deal Mm. because this is the kind of thing that gives you you know the will smith aladdin commercial Mm -hmm. this is this is called this is like poor cgi compositing is what this is this is basically the movie is shot uh, almost exclusively on green screen and everything is composited around them. Right. And so in order to make it look and feel like it has real weight, that the people in it are really there in order to make it not have that sort of like zero gravity, nothing is hitting anything. Nothing is important. Kind of weird, jarring Van Helsing kind of feeling. And I, I don't blame Van Helsing because the technology wasn't there yet, but like, you need to pay attention to things like the lighting and things like, is this object being lit from the same direction as the object right next to it? And also like your, even if I don't care that his clothes don't have snow on it, my brain knows like my brain knows that he's not actually in a snowstorm because no snow is sticking to him. And, you know, and so like, he would have snow all over him. I yeah. have curly hair. I can't go out in a snowstorm for 10 minutes and not be covered in snow. Not be, yeah, I look just, like a crumb bun from right, a exactly. bakery, right? Like I look like a freaking, uh, I look like Betty white, you know, <laughs> peace be upon her rest in peace, you know? Um, so yeah. So I think that, that for all of the problems of story and plotting and, and kind of mission and, and kind of heart and, and kind of uh, sincerity or commitment or decisiveness that the movie might have. It also has some like very glaring problems in execution that I think are more impactful than they seem. And, and I was just, I, as soon as I saw that, I never, I never didn't see it. Yeah. There was, there was a, an early shot that was, uh, I think in the Berlin train station or something mm-hmm. like that, that was like one of these magical CGI shots where the camera kind of flies through several perspectives, goes through windows and stuff like that. The transition through the window, how you deal with that is always a, a real big tell, um, mm. In, you know, in one of these things and they were both, I don't know, I thought they were, they were sort of inexpertly handled, but then you sort of come, come across the, uh, you, you come down on the, the platform where the characters are standing and there are, you know, big, uh, big trunks or, you know, valises or suitcases or some kind, you know, secured with leather straps and, and buckles and stuff that like, uh, and it, it felt like everything was kind of moving in a slightly different way, like moving on a slightly different, different plane. I know like math, math, all these things are done by computers and like mathematically they all work out in some way, but the, they, they don't the, necessarily, sometimes they get them wrong. They get yeah. them wrong a lot, you know, like it's hard. It's hard hard to do especially if you're changing it all the time um especially if you run out of time and you're trying to change things at the last minute but sorry i interrupted yeah well i mean i think that's i think that's right and i it had it had the feeling of immateriality you know the the mm-hmm. opposite of the quality that we i think when we talked about iron man um 
on the podcast, we maybe did a look back at Iron Man even like, and the thing about Iron Man is that like everything feels so substantial. Everything feels so like weighty, all this metal stuff. That is the stuff of that movie feels so, uh, uh, chunky, you know, mm-hmm. and it has a chunky aesthetic, not a, not the sleek aesthetic that the, the Iron Man character would, would acquire in, in later MCU movies. And like, if you, yeah, exactly. If you're going to have your, your two fancy tweed boys, you know, uh, the, 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 like the tweed should rustle and it should interact with the, it should have the materiality. It should have down to the, you know, those little tiny, uh, little fuzzy stray hairs that, that, that stick up from the uh, uh, that stick up from the the uh, wool of the the tweed, you know that that catch on the you know that catch the snowflakes and stuff like that. It should have it should have that materiality. Well, uh, you know, and that's like if you look at a if you look at a computer generated environment, it just seems too clean, you know. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the 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 real world is a is a the the man made world is a is actually sort of in constant war between the the synthetic and the organic you know and there's always like no matter how beautiful and rectilinear your your poured concrete obelisk you know there's there's always a moss you know there's always like mm-hmm. a moss trying to like you know uh, I, uh life will find a way i think one of the characters said in a preview that i watched before this <laughs> <laughs> before this movie yeah. another character said i feel the need for speed uh <laughs> And that was pretty, that was pretty, pretty exciting for me. But yeah, I, th- I think you're right that like the, the execution, the, the, uh, computer execution of the film's environments didn't do it any favors because they take it, 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 it creates that level of unreality that sort of, and which, you know, promotes an unconscious disbelief. Um, it really, it really messes with your ability to invest in the movie imaginatively, even if you don't, even if you can't like identify it and understand, uh, understand what's operating. Anyway, this big, this long shot into the train station was the moment where that, that clicked for me, um, and the leaves later for you. But I think you're right on about that, Pete. Yeah. If the if the real stuff doesn't look real, then the magic stuff doesn't feel like magic. Yeah, that's well, what it boils down to. There's for me. a good point because it's all it's all just CGI, and there's no. Yeah, that's a really good. I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought of that. What a great way to end our uh, our fantastic uh, fantastic beasts and where to sick burn them. <laughs> <laughs> It'll rise like a phoenix from the ashes. Don't worry. This is Dumbledore we're talking about. He's not done. Yeah. He's he not done. His name's not Dunbledore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's leave it there. This has been a storied two-hander. Uh, hop on the Discord or uh, into the comments and let us know what you think of, of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Uh, check out our party rap Harry Potter EP, Fantastic Beats. And where to find them. I'll put a, put a link to the YouTube uh, video in the, in the show notes for this and visit us next week when we uh, return with the Overthinking podcast. Till then, we're on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.